with snowballeffect.co.nz. High growth investing made simple. On the huddle with us this evening, we've got Ali Jones of Red PR, community board member as well, and Nick Leggett, the chief executive of Transporting New Zealand. You too. Hello. I'll start with you on this, Nick. What do you make of Michael Wood's comments? What do I make of Michael Wood's comments? Well, visit a restaurant or a cafe. Uh, they are massively under the pump. I think there's been something like a 90% turnover of staff in hospitality in the last year. And I think that, you know, being business people, people who are struggling to run businesses being lectured by politicians who have never been in business is, is not on. The point about um, migrant labour is that in most industries it is a supplement. Uh, the point about the hospitality industry and the flexibility that it offers is that that suits a lot of workers. And um, the sort of judgmental kind of sense that the industry isn't paying properly or isn't doing right by its workers, I think, is insulting. Uh, and that really we need, you know, every sector is facing a shortage of people, including the immigration uh, processing sector, given the uh, the slow uh, processing of uh, migrant visas, um, we just actually have to recognise the world is under stress and strain and that actually government intervention and everything is not the solution. Ellie, I, I'm not sure that the government can continue to run out this line that HOSPO is not paying enough when plainly they are paying enough and the problem simply is that there aren't enough workers. Do you agree? Yeah, look, I do. And, I, you know, we've, we've been in mid-Canterbury for the last wee while and, and we know of businesses, and medicine, for example, in the middle of a busy winter season now, where they can't actually, not only can they not get staff because they haven't got the usual number of backpackers and so forth, but they have got people who have been here and had their visas extended and extended because the borders have been closed, but now the borders are open, they're being told they have to go back and they can't get a work visa. They want to work here, they needed to work here so that these businesses can run and immigration sending them home because they won't give them a work visa. So not only is it that argument, which you just mentioned, the hourly rate, which is a nonsense because of the lifestyle a lot of, you know, the backpackers come to places like Methland for, but there's an example of how they could be helped to get the staff in and immigration is, is stopping that. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Nick, this um, business with the plane having to turn away from Wellington and go down to Christchurch on account of the curfew, should Wellington not be a little bit more flexible with its curfew in times like that? Well, you would think you would think so, but also um, Qantas need to have a better on-the-ground response to stranded passengers. I think um, you know, it's, whichever way you take it, uh, people shouldn't be shouldn't come off a plane in a destination they weren't expecting to arrive at without some kind of support to get them into you know a safe uh, and comfortable bed for the night. I just don't think it's it's not what. It's not the welcome that New Zealand want to be uh, rolling out. Um, but actually, once again, you know, there does need to be some flexibility at Wellington Airport as well, I think. So um, uh, we've just got to do better, really, uh, especially given yeah. the fact that um, we've, uh, you know, we, we, want, we want to grow our, our tourist reputation again, tourism reputation again. I mean, that is, Ali, that is a stink way to start your holiday in New Zealand, isn't it? Well, it's absolutely awful, and I heard you talk to Mike earlier today, you know, just, just this evening as well. I mean, I, the other thing I was amazed about was the spokesperson for Qantas apologising to customers for the inconvenience, saying they appreciated the understanding. And, you know, I put a PR hat on here and go, oh, my God, is that is that it? But, I mean, they shouldn't have left Sydney in the first place, in my opinion. Or if they did, and they did, then they should have put people up in Christchurch. It's a perfectly good hotel right there at Christchurch Airport. And I can't imagine what it would have been like with kids and older people. I, I just think it's all awful, awful.
Yeah, and a $15 voucher. Jeez. Um, by the way, I have to tell you about, about taking the dummy away from the child this weekend, which is like taking cigarettes away from an adult. It's really difficult. But anyway, I'll fill you in. Nick Jones, um, or rather Nick, Nick Leggett, Ali Jones with us on the huddle this evening. Ali, um, I don't know if you caught it, but Rona Pinkham was on the show with us, started the program mm-hmm. telling us how she had to save her mum's life in hospital, she and her sister, by feeding her mum pureed food because she'd been put into palliative care. Can you imagine that? I mean, what does that say to you about the state of, of the hospitals and how overworked these workers are now? I can completely understand that. I know what an under-resourced health system can do. My father died after he fell from his bed uh, after being left unattended in, in hospital about 16 years ago. And my sister and I sat there for 24 hours to make sure he was okay. And then we were told that there would be someone with him 24-7. Within half an hour of um, her and me leaving, uh, he fell out of bed, got a brain injury and a broken hip, and he never recovered. And that was because they were understaffed. So um, I heard that. My heart just breaks for her. Um, It's nothing new. I know things go wrong. You know, nothing is perfect. Things do go wrong. But this has not happened overnight, this this terrible resourcing issue. Uh, And something's got to be done. We shouldn't be going through this. Nick, do you think that, I mean, is it becoming increasingly clear that it's not, that the hospital system is not coping despite the minister's assurances continuously that they are? Oh, I think that's absolutely the case. Uh, And I I do have to give a plug. We did have a palliative care situation with a hospital in our family about a month ago, and uh, it was, was, I mean, as positive as these things can be, um, like fantastic staff, um, and uh, you know, uh, an event that uh, never never nice, but actually the system made it better. Uh, but for every story like ours, of course, there are stories like this. And you know, when the government is proposing to spend 1.8 billion dollars on a restructure of the health system, which is not really focusing on frontline services, it's it's a spend on bureaucrats. Of course, um, it's going to add to the pressure. Uh, it's going to destabilise the system. And I think that what we have is a public uh, that's got expectations of health. Uh, we've, we've certainly come to expect a high quality, and I think that's right. But we do also have uh, pandemic stresses and uh, workforce shortages in this sector as well. And I don't get a sense that the government are taking... I don't think they're accountable, I don't think they're taking responsibility, but they're also proposing to spend a whole lot of money in things that are not actually going to uh, lift the quality of what people receive, either at primary health care, you know, because it's hard to get into a GP, uh, or in, in a hospital. Um, how problem- can, I, yes. can I ask you a question? Has the family said anything about making a complaint to the Health and Disability Commissioner? Um, I'm not aware that they have. I hope they do, because that's what the Commissioner is there to do, and you know, from a family that has been through something similar, we would encourage them to do that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, to you, Ali, does Harry McCleary seem like a problematic storyline? <laughs> you know, I never, th- I never thought of this. And I know you've got a wee one now. Mine are a bit taller and hairier than yours. But um, I remember reading them, these, and I loved them, you know, Slinky Malinky and Bottomly Pot. And it wasn't until I went back and had a look, and they're all male. <laughs> I mean, I even thought I thought Slinky Malinky was female, but actually, no, Slinky Malinky is male as well. It's a boy well. cat. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's referred to as a he in the reading of it. Look, I haven't had a huge problem with it, but look, let's get some diversity in there, really. No, I, I do. I think we should, you know, have a female greyhound from Dusty Sound or something. I could help you with that. Yeah, but I mean, we need, 
Yeah, we need more diversity. Look, I mean, that's fair because otherwise, you know, you know how are our little girls going to grow up wanting to be lady dogs and lady cats unless the lady dogs and lady cats are in the books? Mm. Well, I think, the, I think the fact that none of us have ever thought about it suggests how lacking of importance it is. Lindley Dodd is a national tre- treasure, Heather, and I won't hear a word against her. Um, you know, I was, read her, I was read her books as a kid, loved them, and we're reading them to our kids. Um, and, you know, I think that we can reinforce messages of diversity in, in a whole host of ways without changing things that we've always loved. Yeah, well, that's probably fair, guys. Thank you, Ali Jones, Nick Liggett, our huddle this evening. I was obviously being sarcastic, by the way.